Hey there, this is D. Yvonne Rivers, your host for Birth Moms Real Talk, a podcast where you will hear the journeys of birth mothers who have placed children in adoption and also have some emotional and tough conversations, or you may say hot topics about adoption. Listen in. Welcome, Kitty. Hello. I want to welcome you to the first podcast of Birth Moms Real Talk. I'm so happy to have you here. My name is Yvonne, and I will be the host of Birth Moms Real Talk, where we will hear the journey of birth moms as well as a hot topic or discussion that sometimes is very hard but necessary. So this is a joy and a pleasure. Thank you, Kitty, for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me to share my story. This time of using your creative way to hear the voices of birth moms is personally exciting to me because I was able to journey with you on developing this idea. Wonderful. So let's start back at the beginning of your journey as a birth mom. Hmm. Well, this dates back even before I was a birth mom, before I start talking from that place, I need to disclose that I'm an adult adoptee, meaning I was adopted when I was three weeks old. So I decided to share this awareness in in order for the audience to better understand my truth, since I'm offering my story through the lens of an adoptee first. Right. Yeah. To quickly give you a glimpse at the adoptee story, I need to say my life as an adoptee was good. Our family was comprised of my dad, a banker, my mom, a nurse, their birth son, who is six years older than me, my brother, also an adoptee from another family, and then three years younger, my little sister, who was my parents' biological. So as you can see, there's the bookends of biological, and then there's the the middle two, me and my brother. So our family motto could have been back then, you know, bad things happen, but we pick ourselves up and refocus on that goal ahead of us. And this is what we did when my younger brother and I found our dad dead on the front porch when I was 11. And this is what I did when I found myself pregnant with a stranger's child. Mm, Wow. What would have been help for you? Tell me how that was. So yeah, my decision in relinquishing my son 34 years ago was actually a familiar cycle established a few generations even before I was born. Hmm. I can track back to my birth grandma not raising my birth mother. My birth mom did not raise me. And then I continued this pattern by not raising my firstborn, my son. Wow. So generations, we've got two generations there, huh? That I know of, yes. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any further research back, but I found it so interesting that this had to be some sort of unconscious act or implicit memory, since I didn't know that these women at the time of my deciding to place my son had actually done the same thing I did. Mm. You know, no way I would know that I was following that generational cycle. So what was the deciding factor to make you make that decision? As you say, you didn't know your past about it. So what was your deciding factor in placing? 
So there were a few. The story, you know, was set that I had moved to Arizona when I was 20. And this was due to having uh, seasonal allergies and asthma. And the doctor had given me a choice. He said, you can move to a warm, dry climate, or you can choose to come in weekly and receive allergy shots. Well, at that age, I had finished my associate's degree in college. And I thought, yeah, I could go move with my aunt and uncle in Arizona until I got a job and then I could be on my own. So I left in October and my going away party, my friends promised that they would see me again in March for my birthday. Well, March arrived and my friends were unable to visit me. I had gained new friend group from my apartment complex that I was living in. And they helped raise my spirits by taking me out on my birthday. And that was the evening that I met this guy. And then I had ended up pregnant with his baby. Wow. How was it in telling? Did you tell him? Did he know? Uh, Yes, I, I did tell him. And it was a rather strained and I guess I could say threatened relationship at that point. So I did not continue seeing him. We both had different ideas on where this baby would fit into our lives. Okay. Okay. Who was there for you if he wasn't? Was did you have anyone there with you or to help you through this process on this period of time? Yes. I had gone to a clinic to actually take a pregnancy test. And because I had no clue I was pregnant. And at the clinic, they had seen how distraught I was. And at that time, they had referred me to receive counseling. So uh, the next week after I had left the clinic, I had an appointment with a therapist to talk about, you know, what, what was going on. And that was my only support at that time. I do believe it was probably a month later that I had shared with my younger sister over the phone what was going on with me. And I did not tell my aunt and uncle at the time. So my my sister did agree to keep that confidential until I was ready to tell my mother. But she did the next weekend say to me, listen, you need to tell mom because she know. And I had thought at that point, it wasn't fair for me to put my sister in the middle of this, you know, with such heavy information, you know, without the uncertainty of what I would do. So how was it in sharing with your family? How was that? It was actually not too bad. I mean, there was a pause on the telephone line when I told my mother and I was thinking, oh no, what are the next words out of her mouth? Mm. And it was... It was so sweet to hear her say, well, I feel like I need to be there and visit you. I need to come see you. That actually dispelled all of my fear that she was going to judge me or that I would have to have uh, shame, you know, over what had happened. Were you surprised by that reaction or you expected that? You know, I think I was a little surprised because I actually did, you know, have that thought that "Mm, I may be in big trouble here. There may be, you know, don't you know how to conduct your life when you're away from home? You know, like I had these thoughts in my head looming before I was to tell her. And maybe that's why I didn't tell her. Wow. Wow. And after then, how did that make you? Did you feel like you had someone in your corner as you went through this? Yes. Her. So they had come, my sister and my mother had come to visit me and they stayed for a week. And it was very, I wouldn't say lighthearted, but it was 
sort of normal. They did not make it a big meeting about like what happened and what are you going to do next? And, you know, they didn't get into, I guess I would say my personal business, Mm. which was sort of strange now that I talk about it because I could have thought, you know, do they care? But I think that they both wanted to just uh, reassure me, you know, that they still saw me as who I've always been, a sister and a daughter, and not somebody to, you know, make um, a, a wrong choice. So how was the communication prior to you getting pregnant? Were, was it an open communication that you could talk about anything? Or? Yeah, my upbringing with my family was um, open communication was usually spurred by an unfortunate happening. So we talked a lot when tension was high, <laughs> but we had a great way of bringing it back down and starting doing a reset. We didn't hold offenses. My mother was definitely one. She could not stand the next day to not get along with us or to have us not get along with each other. So there was usually some compromise made, some she was not foreign to drawing up a contract or even taking us to a therapist when things were really off the rails growing up. Wow. So you you were in some therapy sessions before, so that wasn't foreign to you for therapy to deal with issues or problems. No, it wasn't. Oh. No. Mm-mm. I think me being an adoptee, I probably practiced, you know, some living on the edge even before going to Arizona. You know, if there were boundaries made, I was probably the one that would navigate to what extent and maybe beyond. So yeah, I didn't, I probably was not the easiest raising. I'm, I'm interested in that, that wild one, Katie, on the edge. What does that really mean? <laughs> <laughs> A new side um, of you, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I grew up and was a mom myself and now see that, oof, you know, that was, I, I just, I don't know. I guess I wondered if, if their love was different, if, you know, I, I do believe I was probably prone to looking for love in all the wrong places that did cause my mother a lot of worry. And she probably was trying to figure me out, you know, why, why is there this recklessness? Wow. Wow. So further down the road in your journey, so you placed, and that was 34 years ago. So what's the situation? Have you reunion? Have you found them? How would, How is it now? So four years ago, well, I guess I should say that. So I had my son, and then two months later, I had met the man that I would end up marrying, my husband today. And we got married, and then we had four children. And then later on, we decided that we'd like to open our home for foster care. And our first placement was a nine-year-old that ended up becoming our legal and forever son when he was 11. So it was a foster turned into an adoption opportunity. With that in mind, now fast forward to four years ago. And we were at a support group because we were adoptive parents and my friend was there and she had said, you know, we sit here as adoptive parents, but we really don't understand the birth mom. Like, I feel like we need to have more 
empathy and compassion for the birth mom. Does anybody know a birth mom we can bring to the group to to visit and so that we can, you know, get to know that side of it? So and did you raise your hand? Did you raise your hand then? Oh, no, 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 no. And I was very thankful that I married a quiet man. Okay. Because I thought, oh, no, how did this turn out to me coming here to get support? And now the tables are going to be turned and I may be like the guest speaker or whatever. I just wanted to keep everything neatly where it belonged. Maybe that's so interesting. Neatly where it belonged because... Uh Yeah, my world was about to get shaken a little bit. I ended up disclosing to my friend that I was a birth mom. And she said, what? No, she never asked me to come speak at that group, thankfully. But she did say to me, I'm all about finding and providing reunions for adoptees. Would you like me to help you find your birth son? That question I had never entertained. Really? I had never entertained the thought of finding my birth son. And yeah, that sounds kind of strange, probably, you know, for so, me. So through, through all the years, did you think about it? I mean, like, what was the mindset? Had you sort of put it aside and didn't think it would happen? Or what was your mindset during those years? So I really think that motto that I had referred to earlier was going to be the catalyst for what was going on at this present time with this question of whether I wanted to find my birth son. You know, when you practice resilience to the 10th degree, you are taking something unfortunate and you're tucking it someplace where you think it belongs. So you can move on to what is ahead. And that's really what I believe I did with my birth son. I truly believe I had, you know, taken this traumatic event and and shelved it in a way that, you know what, I've I've got my life ahead of me. I there I live in my family's home. And, you know, like two months later I met this man and I carry on. And that's what happened. So was it more of your head telling you this resilient, you've got to move on put anything aside that's going to keep you from moving on? Was that your attitude or how you were brought up, as you say? Did you keep moving no matter what? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, you just plug through. I can't even remember taking any time off from school after my dad had passed away. I I don't remember any grieving process. Now, that there was a missed opportunity to go for counseling. But that was back in the day that they didn't, you know, bring in that awareness to a child, to a child that you may need to meet with somebody to help navigate this earth shattering thing that happened to you. That wasn't available. But I heard you speak about that therapy wasn't a big issue for your family, that you really went there, but through the grief or through the passing of your dad or other things, the rest of the family didn't go into therapy or... talk about it was it even was it even talked about because that was what year that your son was born my son was born in 1986 so was it I say I use the word acceptable that may not be the word but were people talking about other words you had not shared you were a birth mom but what was the situation and was going in your mind could you share or feeling like you could share it could you deal could deal with it could you grieve could you cry about it I did, but it was in private. 
you know, I would go to my room and lay on my bed and cry. I did not openly show emotion towards that loss in front of my family, in front of my friends. I was very stoic towards it. You know, I think that people may have even asked me, how you doing? And I said, fine. I didn't feel that it was something that needed to be explored or, uh, yeah, no, that wasn't, yeah. Mm-mm. So you stopped it or put it in the shelf. You said, so four years ago when you did reunion, did it come off the shelf then? Or tell me how that was. Well, I would say there was the honeymoon period of, oh my goodness, I have a son. It was almost as if I was birthing him again. Like wow. that was, it was so bizarre because it was the finding him and like, knowing this happened, but not taking the journey with it. So for the first year, it was, oh, you can go on vacation with us. And oh, you need to meet your half siblings. And oh, we live two hours from each other. Like there was all this stuff that I was like in the moment offering to him. And I think he was taking it as, okay, you know, this is good. She's setting the stage. You know, now I know who who's involved in the life, but there came a time when, you know, me sharing of what my life was like and finding out what his life was like came to an abrupt stop where, I mean, it was like nothing was shared. There was no response from him through phone calls. And I got very worried about, you know, his, where he was in his life in relation to this information that we've just uncovered. So he dealt with it probably a lot more in the beginning where I didn't. I had a good year and a half before it was going to hit me. And I was going to ask you that about a year and a half in the reunion. And then that's when he sort of went to himself and not communicated. He, no, he started early where he was, he, three months into it, he pulled back and did not respond to my texts or my emails or my calls. And I was very disturbed about that. I was, I was fearful of, you know, what, what did I do wrong? Did I scare him? Did he change his mind? Does he feel bad? Is he confused? Can I help? So I got worried about that, but it was more, what can I do for you? It was all very much me giving to him. I still wasn't going to give to myself yet. Right. You know, and and I ask these questions because so many times, me also as being a birth mother, uh, we wonder about whether we're doing something right. And you mentioned that, you know, and that's something for discussion is like, what is your mindset when your child may pull away or don't say anything? How do we manage to go through that time and take care of ourselves? And part of that is part of the healing. And the journey. So what did you do during that time that he pulled back? Well, I had been involved in a few online discussion groups where, you know, uh, we would have uh, meetings and I would hear the, the stories of other women. And actually that confused me a little bit. That sent me into another place that maybe was like tapping on my heart of why don't you feel that way? What is wrong with you that you don't have that grief stricken, that you're just picking him up like as another child, like where you left off? Wow. Really? That was, my, that was, 
Yeah, that was when I was very mindful about people are reacting different to the same story as mine. They're acting different than me. They're reacting different, but we both have the same story. We both no longer have our child. But did you think you had to react the same way as others? Did you allow yourself that? Well, I almost felt like I was like heartless because why am I not crying and feeling bad over the time loss that I did not have my child? And I've been working on that a lot. And I do believe it's going back to the fact that I'm the one that made that conscious decision to place him. And that being said, feeling as if because she made that conscious decision to place him, that that's why you did not feel the grief or felt as if you couldn't. Talk more about that if you can. I think it was a lot of what I had been given in my life to bring me to where I was at that point. That was so familiar to me that I thought, well, that worked well for me. Let me do this for my son. Hmm. So I had a whole different script that I had lived by than these women on the call. And so did that let you think of another perspective or moving forward? How did you manage that and thinking these women are different than me? I've got a different mindset. So I will go back to what has worked for me through the rest of my childhood. No, I think that if we progress then another year, so let's say this has been two years since we have reunited, that is when I turned a corner and I, my world sort of started to crumble. I started to feel like I am a mess. I am losing my mind. I, I hurt deeply and nobody cares. Nobody is being sensitive to me. And I started to make my life very, very small. And that consisted of me pretty much in my bed a lot in a dark room. Mm -hmm. And like, I've, I've never like researched, you know, what's a nervous breakdown, but I could say that, you know, that, that would probably be where, where I was at in my own way. And that is when I realized that I had shielded myself from a life of, you know, living through that loss in a gradual way to then finding it on the shelf, opening it up like, oh, what a beautiful thing that I've just found down the shelf. And then you look at it long enough and go, ooh, oh no, no, this is something very different. And that um, hit me. So I got, yeah. So so you, you became very overwhelmed with all of the grief that was coming at you after all these years. Yes. Yes. That's what happened. Okay. And so now, how are you progressing? It's been what, two years? How long has it been now since the reunion? So where are you at now? So it, it took me a good year to, like, yeah, I, I was, my, my son and I had been in therapy off and on throughout these past four years. But to take a pause from therapy was actually pretty good because I do believe that we both need to individually work on where we've been in this time apart and, you know, to define that for ourselves, to work through that before we then come back together to look at each other and say, now, who are you and what do we want to be together? 
Right. I find it interesting, Kitty, that you you talk about fours and therapy has been in your life. And a lot of birth moms, I can speak for myself, that has not been the case. And fours and being a tool to help work through the feelings, your own individual feelings or the feelings with your child. I've met a lot of different birth moms and it's all different reactions, as you say. And a lot of it is based on our past environment. So we're going to see a lot of different birth moms on on this podcast that come from different perspectives because their story is different. For the Mm -hmm. fact that you may have placed your child doesn't mean everyone's the same. It is so different based on that. And so part of it, too, is understanding or listening to the journey you and other birth moms and seeing how you've, I guess I call it navigated because this is a journey. This is a journey and we're all on this journey. So it's like learning from others and listening to how other people are coming through it now. What's, what, what situation are you in now? Uh, What joy do you get out of life? I like to look at, okay, because we're going to always see different scenarios in life. So what's the good thing in life now? So, well, So joy is stirred with the knowledge that hope lies ahead to continue growing our relationship. So hope, hope is really what I cling to now, that and faith. But my greatest joy is that my son has developed relationships with his half siblings and my husband. So even when I am not able to be the go-to, he has opened doors to other people in the family. And I welcome that. And whatever relationship they want to make, you know, absent of me, that is not a problem. I don't need to be a part of it. I, you know, maybe it will help him then when we are together. I'm also grateful that I'm friends with his adoptive mother and father. That was just through this reunion that he gave me permission to meet them. So my husband and I had dinner with them and we've kept uh, communication with them. Has it always been open to your kids knowing about him and your husband? So that was always open. That was nothing that was ever closed and you had to disclose that just when you reunion. Right. Well, so I had a plan every time one of my children was nearing puberty, I would have the talk with them to share with them that the definition of love, there's various forms. And if you, you know, if you look at it as romantic love in a sexual way, you could make decisions that will affect the rest of your life. And then I share what, what happened. Okay. Anything you'd like to share with birth moms to, we, we learn, I say lessons and blessings. So whatever we go through of learning lessons and blessings, what would you share with other birth moms of what you've gotten out of your journey by being a birth mom, as well as you've got a different perspective of being an adoptee and adoptive parent. So how do all the three of those work together? Do you find that okay. you have different, different perspectives based on which side we're talking to you? Yeah, sometimes they don't work together. I have to really determine where I'm answering from. <laughs> Whether I'm answering from the adoptee or the birth parent or the adoptive parent. Many times I'm in the adoptive parent role. I seem to filter through life that way professionally and personally um, in my day-to-day living. So to go to that birth mom place, I have to be purposeful for that. And that is where I know that I need to read 
I need to understand other people's stories and the reality of, of it, you know, through what other people have gone through. I want to be open to that and not to just say, hmm, oh, well, that's you. You had an unfortunate circumstance. No, I think it is very valuable for us to be able to uh, be with one another and to, okay, so you and I have talked about this, this whole holding space. This is like my buzz term these days. I'm, yes. I'm just, and I even like looked up, like, what is the meaning of this? If I'm going to talk about <laughs> what am I talking about anyway? Right, right. So this has been a step to your healing, right? Holding space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's mainly you just, you don't come in and say, this is the only way and be so rigid. But it means that, you know, you're present for somebody physically, mentally, emotionally, and that it means putting your focus on someone to support them as they're feeling their feelings. And it's also not trying to change their mind. Because it, you can validate somebody and have them so just relax by just going, whoa, that sounds unfortunate. And that does sound traumatic. I am so sorry you went through that. When somebody can be diffused by sharing something and hearing somebody respond that, it sometimes takes them in a different place where they can take a breath and know that, wow, well, let me move on to the next thought. I don't have to be stuck in this, you know, like a problem. But okay, I got that off my chest. So holding space to you simply means the fact that you are willing to accept people as they are, validate them where they are. How does that relate to your son right now and holding space for him? So I think for him, I would realize that I come from a place of relational experiences with people where he may come from a place more of really studying and getting the concept, something a little bit more concrete. So I am not going to go into relationship with him and expect him to relationally connect with me that way, the way I want it. And in the same way, I have to realize that he wants to tell me a lot about theory and things he's read online And I cannot shut the door to that. So I will hold space to receive that that is the way he works things out. So we are different that way. Okay. Holding space for him physically these days for me is that I will send him mail, U.S. postal mail, and I will send him a very surface, surfacey light text every once in a while, maybe once a month. I, you know, I'm, I'm not. I don't have it on my day timer, but we are not in the heavy, deep and real stage right now. And we have just pulled back, but I am not in fear of time. And I also believe that he needs to process how he has to, and I have to process how I have to. And sometimes that doesn't mean that we're doing it together. Right, right. That's interesting you said that because I come from a sort of a different perspective of, and I use the analogy of a table, holding space at a table. And and I like to say that I have the table set for my son and there's a space for him. He's an adult now with a family of his own. And this table is set for him with his own designated place that he's welcome anytime he chooses to sit at the table. In the meanwhile, even though he's not sitting at the table, 
that doesn't mean that I have to sit there waiting for him. And I, I say that specifically because part of, I, I speak for myself, my, my own healing is being the very best for me, becoming the very best for me, which in t- turn, I'll be the very best for him and everyone else. Uh, it comes back to he- healthy means heal thyself. So I'm in the process of healing thyself. So the table is set for him. Anytime he wants to sit down, I'm just not sitting there waiting for him. <laughs> I'm moving on to do life, and but it will be his his space. No one else can take that space because I look at being a birth mom of now an adult. It's like he doesn't need someone to wipe his nose and whatever. So we are building a, an adult relationship. And I think that's a different perspective than maybe some moms will take of thinking that we can't go back. We can't go back for me 40 some years or you 34 years. And we have to start from where we are now. And and I, I look for this podcast to bring forth different perspectives on how we all can move forward with our child. And part of it too is that accepting him, her, wherever they are, and for us to give back to ourselves. So what are some of the things you give back to yourself, to to give to yourself, to honor yourself, to hamper yourself? What are some things? Uh, Yeah, you know, actually you've been teaching me about this. This is a class you need to do (laughs) because I would be less likely to uh, recognize that and offer it to myself. But through us knowing each other, I have learned to be, gentle with myself. So, you know, it's my, it's my birthday weekend. And I was almost afraid to say to my soon to be daughter-in-law, we went and got pedicures this morning. And I was thinking, should I tell her I got a massage last night? But I, I thought, yeah, I'm going to. So I, I was that an issue. Why was that an issue? Whether you would or whether you would. Because I, I take good care of myself. Okay. (laughs) And I, I think that you know, self-care for me is if I am going to work out, you know, six days a week, I'm going to go find myself, at, you know, on the massage table. Mm-hmm. If uh, somebody wants to get me the gift of a pedicure for my birthday, I'm not going to be, oh, no, no, you don't, don't need to get me anything. I'm going to say, oh, well, that would be so much fun. Why, thank you. So um, I think that I am I'm accepting. I have arms open wide to accept whatever comes my way as a gift or a blessing. And I don't need to deny myself. Um, I think sometimes a thread of guilt and shame will bring you to a place where you'll want to deny yourself the good things in life or the the gifts that people want to give you. So I, I do think I've you know, exercise that a lot more. So what made that turn? So did you think that the years doing after placing your son that you denied yourself and didn't feel like you deserve to pamper yourself or accept what things people gave to you. I find that sometimes women more so, not necessarily all women, but a compliment is given and it's like, instead of saying thank you, it's like, well, you know, because of this, you know, because when people give to you, it's like, okay, as you say, accept it freely. So what was the turning point for you? At what point did you turn to, well, I I can give this to myself? I took a lot longer look at myself as the adoptee. And I realized that, you know, throughout life, there was a reoccurring thought. Do I really belong? Am I really accepted? 
I mean, you, you have to ask yourself that it's valid, you know, when you are growing in someone's womb for nine months and then you are brought out into the world and, you know, plopped in an unfamiliar place and grown up to see that there are two children at the front of the family and then one at the end of the family that both were, were planned and, you know, from my mom and dad. And then the other two that were, well, we can't have a baby. Let's go find one. You can start to think that, well, is my time here measured? Is it measured on, you know, whether I'm going to be a a good choice? You know, was this risky to bring in another child that that was not planned, you know, from my mother's mother? So you... Do you feel as if your healing is coming from the perspective as an adoptee or birth mom or all three together? No, I think that it is mostly fundamentally at the very seed, me as an adoptee, because I was that before I was ever a birth mom. So I really needed to go back to the beginning and and question, you know, why was I looking for love in all the wrong places? Why was I, I risky and reckless? Has that been a conversation you've had with your son about having that commonality of both of you being adoptees? Oh, that's that's very tough for us to discuss because he he wants to to stay focused as you are my birth mom and I'm trying to wrap my head around that. And when I bring in, oh, I so understand because I'm an adoptee too, that so just really, you know, shifts him to a place where he he wants to stay, keep his mindset you know, as to, okay, you are the birth mom, I am the adoptee, we are talking in, you know, from this to this, you know, in a very linear way. (laughs) Okay, okay. So through this journey as a birth mom, adoptee and adoptive mom, you're the whole triad, Kitty. What do you feel has helped you most? Or what would you like to see? The key thing, we want to get some input from birth mothers talking on this podcast about what will be helpful. I mean, like the support groups help or what's been your biggest help and maybe for other moms that you've met that would be helpful in going through this journey. And it is a journey. Well, something that is very big for me and my birth son right now, and this is part of the reason that we're not really interacting like we used to. And that it is my hope that there would be adoption competent therapists out there that would start to accept insurance. My son and I both work and we both have insurance. We both actually have the same insurance coverage. And we are finding it very difficult to find a therapist that would entertain, you know, serving us and billing our insurance. That's big. That is big. And that's a practical thing too, because just as we said, and we've talked about for is in therapy and helping us to heal or get healthy. But the reality, you know, I'm a, I'm that realist also as an optimist. So like if you can't really get accessibility within your budget, how can you get the help that you're seeking? So advocacy for competent therapists. And maybe that's another situation too, we can talk about another episode about fours and how do you find a competent adoption, competent therapist? Because that's a, that's a big deal. You know, well, just because you're a therapist doesn't mean that you understand this scenario. Have you found that? Because you've had found some therapists. So what was your process? Did you find that you had to basically 
interview, ask questions, what has been, how you can found someone that number one works for you and works for the two of you, because that's the key thing. You've got two people, you know, it has to work for both yeah. people. So what's been your process of finding therapists? So my process is different than my birth sons. My birth son would immediately lead with, do you take our insurance? And are you familiar with providing therapy under a, a transracial context? Because my birth son is transracial. His father is from the Middle East. So we are, you know, although I'm a white family and I had chosen a profile of a family who was Italian. I had was given three profiles, an Italian family who had spent seven years in the Middle East. I thought, Ooh, what a good fit. So he would, he would come with a very practical, you know, are you going to take my insurance and what's it going to cost me in the long run? And then he would ask about, you know, whether they were sensitive to cultural uh, differences. So. I would come at it as, and this is what I've actually been doing the past few weeks, is I will call people, and even before I find out whether they receive insurance or not, I sort of interview them. (laughs) I give them a, a few, well, what if there was, you know, and say there is, and I don't even tell them it's me, you know, because it could actually be a referral. So I ask some leading questions and then get their answers. And then I say, okay, now tell me, do you accept this insurance? Do you have a sliding fee scale? Do you do telehealth now? I'm not even going to ask them those questions if I don't get a good feel that that we're on the same page. Right, right. Very good. Very good. Well, we're coming to an end of our time, Kitty. And I, I just want to thank you. This has been wonderful. But any last thoughts or resources or you talked about what you're doing, what has worked for you and so forth, and not that other people have to, but any particular resources you like to refer or on your journey that's helped you or, and you're still on it. We're still on the journey. That's the key thing. This is, I don't think, do we get off the highway? I'm not sure. Adoption is lifetime. You know, <laughs> yeah, so until, right. this is lifetime. So this is not, we're not going to get off the, the highway. We'll stay on the highway. It's like how we manage the highway, you know? Yeah. How fast yeah. we're going on the highway, how fast the roller coaster is going. Those are big things there too. You know, so yeah. any last thoughts? As much as I spend a lot of time researching more the adoptee. So I don't spend a lot of time like reading books about the birth mom. But the two books that have really spoke to me the most about birth mom, um, and you and I have actually been diving into this here and there, and that's um, The Body Keeps the Score by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. And then the other book that I I read, the very first book ever, and actually I, I reached out to the author and said, do you know anybody else who represents all the triad? Because I'm feeling a little lonely now. And that is The Primal Wound. So those are the, my two go-to books. I do need to do more reading. And yeah, but it's, it's tough because in my line of work, I'm mainly dealing more with adoptive parents and adoptees. Right. And your point of coming from the adoptee side, just this point of thought, and this is for me, that I, I always will try to hear different perspectives other than from birth moms, because I will listen to adoptee podcasts, Damon Davis. <laughs> 
Haley. So because of hearing from different perspectives, from where, for where I'm coming from, I want to know what things may be in my son's head without getting in it, but just hearing from typical people coming through. Everyone's different. And I think for me, that's why I've taken this open attitude. I don't know because I'm not an adoptee. I don't know what he went through. I know what I experienced as a birth mom, but it's like understanding. So part of that too, maybe is holding space and understanding that whatever the perspective is, it's okay. Cause it's that perspective. It's an honest mm-hmm. perspective with that. I yeah. want to thank you again, Kitty, for being my first guest. I'm so excited for birth moms, real talk. So we're going to be doing other interviews with other birth moms, as well as the hot topics or topical discussions, because these are sometimes very hard conversations we need to have, but necessary to grow. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about fours and being transparent. I truly believe secrets keep you sick. So there's no more secrets. There's transparency in my life. And that's how I'm living it. And that's what's taking me down the path in this journey to wellness. Thanks again, Kitty. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening into Birth Moms Real Talk, where birth mothers share their journeys and we have an open and honest conversation about adoption. If you would like to share your story or you have any comments, you can reach us at birthmomsrealtalk.com or email us at Yvonne at birthmomsrealtalk.com. If you like what you heard, we would appreciate your support on Patreon as a supporter. Find out more on our website. Tune in next time. See you then.